Hey, Tim, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and I'm just really just tickled to death to find out that you're still plugging along after all this time. Ladies and gentlemen, And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 6. We are about to embark on yet another year of Banal of America Audio. We have got a slew of of seriously mind-bending episodes on tap for you over the next few weeks and months, starting with this week's season premiere, featuring, of course, our good friend, Gentleman Jim Mars. Before we kick off the festivities for this year's season premiere, I want to take a moment and remember former BOA Audio guest Betty Mailer. She was, of course, the founder and president of the UFO Society of Ireland, and was featured here on BOA Audio way back in Season 4. I was just completely stunned and saddened in a big way by the passing of Betty Mailer in mid-October. took me totally by surprise and made me think back to that episode with some fond memories. She was a -a one-of-a-kind character, just full of zest, really is the best way to put it. I highly encourage folks to go back and check out that edition of BOA Audio featuring the late Betty Mailer. I had so much fun talking to her. She was unforgettable. And so, of course, we want to extend our condolences and thoughts and prayers to the friends and family of Betty over there in Ireland and around the world. And we want to dedicate BOA Audio Season 6 to the late Betty Mailer. Unfortunately, we say it a lot here at the beginning of the program when we've lost a former BOA Audio guest, but it bears repeating. Let's take solace in the fact that Betty Mailer is most likely still out there somewhere, in some form, and her journey continues, and she's finding out the answers to the questions we ponder here on the program all the time. So, I hope she enjoys the ride wherever it leads, but she is going to be certainly missed down here as well. From that somber note, let's turn the mood around to something a little bit more celebratory as we get down to business on the reason why you're all here in the first place talking about the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 6. You don't need me to tell you too much about the guest because here it is, our sixth year of the program. We're of course talking to the man who has become synonymous with each new season of the program, the venerable Jim Mars. In this year's season premiere, we're going to talk about his new book, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, how the New World Order, man-made diseases, and zombie banks are destroying America. Fascinating read that really covers a whole bunch of different areas that aren't really a part of the previous Jim Mars canon of investigation. We'll delve into the agenda behind the current financial crisis, the emerging New World Order pandemics, Big Pharma, issues with the food industry, global warming, Codex Alimentarius, the Federal Reserve, and the Council on Foreign Relations, how to fix the mess 
that America finds itself in and, of course, much, much more. Then we'll find out about the parts of the book that Jim had censored by the publishers. Yes, there is material that was not allowed in the Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, and you're going to find out about that here on the season premiere of BOA Audio. Plus, since it is our annual conversation with Jim Mars, we'll talk about the last year in ufology and get his thoughts on where he sees the UFO phenomenon going as we close out 2010. So, in total, it is a remarkable conversation here that covers a wealth of periphery areas in the world of conspiracy research, as I said, that had not previously been discussed by Jim in his many outstanding books leading up to this one. And you don't want to hear me yakking any longer. You've been waiting way too long as it is. Given that this is Jim's sixth appearance on the program, you really don't need me to go over the official bio one more time. The books that either you should own or be ordering or have read are Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy, Alien Agenda, Rule by Secrecy, Psy Spies, The Terror Conspiracy, and Rise of the Fourth Reich. I can't put over, of course, Rule by Secrecy enough. That's the one that started me on my journey of investigation into the esoteric. That's why we feature Jim Mars here on the program every season to kick off another year of BOA Audio. He laid the foundation for this entire enterprise, and thus he does every year on the show as well. His website is www.jimmars.com, J-I-M-M-A-R-R-S.com, and the latest book is The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, How the New World Order Man-Made Diseases and Zombie Banks Are Destroying America. Check it out. With all that said, folks, let's get down to business and rock and roll. The wait is over. BOA Audio Season 6 starts now. This interview was recorded on November 4th, 2010. Jim Mars joins us for the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 6. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 6. I can't believe it. We're already uh, kicking off our sixth year of the program, and as anybody who's been listening to the show long enough knows, we always start the season off with this week's guest. This man inspired me to investigate the esoteric from the very beginning with his amazing book, Rule by Secrecy, and ever since then, I've pretty much just devoured every book that he's come out with over the last decade or so at this point. It's been quite a long run here so far. And this past summer, he released his latest book, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, How the New World Order, Man-Made Diseases, and Zombie Banks Are Destroying America. He is a superstar beyond superstars in the world of esoterica and the parapolitics paranormal scene. He is, of course, investigative reporter Jim Mars. Welcome back to BOA Audio, Jim. Thank you once again for helping us kick off another season of Banal of America Audio. Hey, Tim, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and I'm just really just tickled to death to find out that you're still plugging along after all this time. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it, and it's uh, a testament to guys like you who keep coming back and helping us to uh, establish this program for what it is. Now, the new book, I love it. It is amazing. I finished it yesterday. In a way, 
because last year, I think when we talked, you had the, the fiction book coming out. So you sort of had taken a step back from the scene a little bit as far as contemporary stuff goes. So in a way, I got the feeling this book was kind of like how the world has gone to hell in a handbasket since you last heard from me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. Uh, and of course, I just had to jump back into the, uh, you know, the reality, what's really going on in the trillion dollar conspiracy, uh, you know, not only covers the financial meltdown, who caused it, uh, and things like liar, liars' loans and the and the incredible bundling and derivative uh, uh, aspects, which which has just wrecked our economy. Uh, but it also gets into bad food and water, uh, Codex Alimentarius. If you don't know what that is, you better find out because if they keep pushing this through, you're going to have to go to a doctor and pay for a doctor's call just to get a prescription so you can get some vitamin C. Biological weapons, how that uh, they created a biological weapon uh, known as a mycoplasma. This is uh, probably one of, if not the cause, of Gulf War syndrome, and now it's behind a whole variety of so-called modern diseases that uh, nobody had ever heard of 20 years ago, uh, like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome mm -hmm. and uh, stuff like that. Uh, and, of course, they uh, are trying to say, well, here, we'll vaccinate you against all this. And yet the studies and uh, what's coming out more and more is that the vaccinations themselves are the problem. Uh, let's face it, last year about this time, we were all scared to death of swine flu. Well, whatever happened to that, man? I mean, just, yeah, that was kind of a nothing deal. And yet everybody took the vaccination. And now they're having other kinds of problems. We got, and part of the problem is our dumbed-down education system. And it all goes back to the one man who helped create the foundation of our modern uh, education apparatus, John D. Rockefeller, who was quoted as saying, well, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. And, uh, of course, and then that's also led, we're also led around by uh, the incredibly uh, uh, tight media, mass media control. There's like five corporations that control, and they all have interlocking boards of directors. So you got a handful of media moguls who are deciding everything we see and hear. Okay, do we get thoughtful? intellectual discourse in the mass media? No. We get Lady Gaga wearing meat. <laughs> God, you know, where in the hell are we? And of course, when, when you try to do something about this, then they clamp down and we're we're rapidly moving into a, a police state. Except it's worse than the police. Uh, this is this is turning, in, it's turning into a martial law state. Uh, we have a law in this country, which nobody seems to be aware of, called Posse it was passed in 1870, and uh, it came about because uh, of the uh, excesses of Reconstruction. And everybody said this is ridiculous because so many of the southern states were under martial law, and they said this is intolerable. So they passed Posse Comitatus, which states the U.S. military cannot be used to police the civilian population. A very, very smart separation of powers here between the government and the people. Uh, and yet we are just progressively doing away with that. 9-11. Everybody saw the troops in the airport. 
Oh, that's okay. Drugs. Now we got the Coast Guard and the military fighting drugs. Well, you know, that seemed reasonable at the time. Uh, but it just, you know, it's just the slow creep of totalitarianism. Exactly, yeah. It never goes back to, <laughs> they just it keep, never keep stepping back, a little bit never over the line and keep going forward, further and further. Yeah, I was going to say, you kind of nailed it here because in my notes I, I, I wanted to stress, you know, the book not just covers the economy, but also, as Jim said, food, biowarfare, big pharma, education, privacy, the media. So a whole bunch of areas that I'd never seen you cover before, you know, except maybe tangentially and some other stuff, really get the the in-depth treatment here in the book. So Jim Mars fans definitely want to pick this one up for all new insights into a whole bunch of different areas. You know, Tim, uh, here's uh, here's a new thing, too. Uh, as you know, in most of my past books, I, I'm trying to detail here's what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh and here's what's gone astray of what uh, you know we, of the uh, society we should be living in. Well, this one at the end, I actually present. Here's some things we could do about it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and another thing, we talk about the trillion dollar conspiracy. Uh, first off, I'll cut you and your listeners in on a little secret. That was not my original title. Okay, my original title was. Zombie Nation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention that because zombies is a, is a big, uh, you know, the, the concept, I guess you could say, of zombies is a big theme in the book, which was a surprise to me. And I'm sure, like, let's extrapolate on that because obviously, as you just said, it was a big part of what what you had in mind going into it. So I guess, you know, flesh out this zombie thing. Okay. Well, the thing is, I mean, of course, zombies, the zombies, you know, with eat your brains, that, that's kind of a, a, a popular fad. So I latched onto that, but you know there is some validity to the uh, comparison. We're told that banks, which hold more liabilities than assets, in other words, they owe more money than they've got. And they're they're broke, <laughs> but they're propped up with tarp money, and so uh, they're called zombie banks. Okay, because they're dead, but they're still going through the motions thanks to taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. Uh, well. It's been estimated that if uh, every American sold every asset they've got, uh, it would total no more than maybe $10 trillion. Uh, And yet today, depending on who you listen to collectively, we owe in this country between 12 and $15 trillion. In other words, we're broke, (laughs) but but we're still going through the motions, so uh, we're a zombie nation, Uh, and I think it holds together. And when we're bannering around the number of trillion, oh, a trillion, yeah, we got a trillion here, and we sent a trillion over there, and we got a trillion dollars going, you know, the... the, uh, Ben Baraki, the uh, chairman of the, Fed, uh, of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, uh, before Congress, uh, they were asking about these credit swaps and where were they sent trillions of U.S. tax dollars overseas to foreign banks. And they said, well, wait a minute, um, you know, what kind of collateral did they give us? Which banks got all this money and what are they using it for? And he says, well, you know, Federal Reserve System, it's a private banking system. It really has no direct connection to the government, and that's proprietary information, and uh, so I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> so, so they send our trillions of our money overseas, and then they won't even tell us what happened to it. Uh, are we a zombie nation or what? Now, let's think about a trillion real quick, and just to give you an idea of what a trillion is. One trillion is probably a number that is just beyond any of our real uh, comprehension. 
one trillion square miles, just one trillion square miles, would be 3.7 million states the size of Texas. Wow. Wow. That's just unimaginable. Now, And yet, that's the kind of money that they're sucking out of this country. Now, Tim, let's think about it in the most basic form here, okay? Mm -hmm. Are there still plenty of resources in the United States? Yes. We've got good farmland. We've got mineral resources. We've got, we've got you know, a wonderful country here. Yeah. Now, what about the American people? Well, okay, despite being dumbed down and, and turned into couch potatoes of a television and mesmerized and being led around like sheep, nevertheless, there is a public education system. And by the time most people are grown, they at least have a pretty good ability to read and write. So we have a uh, reasonably educated workforce, right? Yeah, yeah. So we got an educated workforce. We got, we're got we rich in mineral resources and other resources. Why are we in such bad economic straits? We should, we should be prosperous, right? Absolutely. Well, we're the way we are. We're in such economic straits. The dollar, you know, prices are going up. Inflation's going up. The dollar's worth less and less and less because, folks, it's meant to be that way. Somebody somewhere wants it that way. If if they didn't if they didn't want it that way, it wouldn't be that way. We have we have the potential in this country to be a wealthy, prosperous country as we were for the first two hundred years of our existence. So why are we in such a problem today? Because they have divided and conquered. They have divided and conquered our society. And today, there's, you know, there's nobody who says, oh, I'm glad to be an American. No, man, you're either a conservative or a liberal or a Democrat or a Republican or a, a male or a female or a heterosexual or a homosexual or a, or a Jew or a Christian or a Catholic or a Protestant. Or, I mean, anything, yeah. anything to divide us and conquer us. And we're falling for it. That's the sad part. Yeah, that is that's that's for sure. So I guess from what you're saying here, to sort of like uh, put it in 9/11 terms, the, the economic collapse, unlike what they're you know saying in the media, which is you know that it was quasi accidental as a result of you know avarice. This is more of a, of a lie hop situation or a my hop situation where you know they let it happen or made it happen. I guess you're you're kind of saying they made it happen. Well, they admit to it. Uh, for example, the Great Depression of the 30s, which began with the stock market crash in 29. Uh, again, to quote Ben Bernanke, uh, he says, uh, yeah, we did it. We're sorry. <laughs> okay. So, you know, uh, 75 years later, they'll say, yeah, we did it. 75 years from now, everybody will understand. Just like right now, you remember all the controversy in 2000 over the, oh, the hanging chads and the vote count in Florida and the appointment by the Supreme Court and all that controversy over the uh, selection of uh, 2000. And, oh, it was a big controversy then. Well, today... Nobody really pays attention to this. Nobody cares anymore. Yeah. But today, it's been firmly established Al Gore won the election. Okay? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, just, that's not a guess or a conspiracy theory. That's a fact. But he didn't get to be president, did he? No. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to wait another 20, 30 years, and then we'll find out that this economic 
squeeze that we're in right now is totally manipulated and uh, originated with what is with the new term they've come up with the banksters you know which is a combination of gangster and banker <laughs> so and they're admitting to it yeah. but nobody's paying attention to that because they control the, the mass media and they will never just like classic example one of the founding controversies in this country was whether or not we wanted to have a central bank. Well, Thomas Jefferson and all the freedom-loving people realized because of the experience of the European nations that when you have a central bank, the central bank pretty much runs the show because you're going to become indebted to it and then it starts calling the shots and the bank will run the country. So they said, no, we don't need a central bank. Alexander Hamilton, on the other hand, some of the rich guys said, well, come on now, we got to have rich people people uh, handling the money because they know how to handle money because they're rich, okay? Yeah. And uh, that was a huge controversy. And they tried the old Bank of the United States and the Bank of America, these central banks, and every time there was corruption, there was criminal activity, uh, people, the economy sank, people, you know, they were uh, confiscating people's farms and homes, and so they'd do away with it, and then they'd create another one. And finally, about 1832, when Andrew Jackson, the first Westerner to, uh, to become President of the United States, and he called these international bankers a, uh, a den of vipers, and he ended the central bank. And that lasted until 1913, when on a Christmas Eve, with mostly Congress people out of town and not really thinking about congressional business, they slipped through the Federal Reserve Act and created the Federal Reserve, which is neither federal nor has any reserves. It just prints money and then loans this paper money to the government at face value. Uh, it's, it's amazing, and nobody seems to catch on. And when they do, they can't seem to do anything about it. We've had the Fed now since 1913, and almost every session of Congress, somebody's calling for an audit, and yet it has never been audited. You can't find out what they're doing with your money. I mean, how many people would put up with that in their personal life? You're going to hand over all your money to, say, some neighbor, and the neighbor won't tell you what he's doing with it or where it goes or anything else. I mean, it's it's insane. But that's the way it works, and that's where we find ourselves. Uh, and it's time that people wake up and start trying to regain control over the country that they, the uh, republic that they were given. Absolutely, yeah. Seems everything's gotten out of control. Go ahead. Absolutely, and of course, you never heard anybody refer to the Federal Reserve System as the central bank until about I don't know ten years ago, maybe a little more, and then just all of a sudden. In the media, they go, well, the central bank today announced, uh, you know, new interest rates, blah, blah, blah. Well, wait a minute. When did we ever vote for a central bank? We didn't want one. We never had one. We tried to get rid of it, and all of a sudden, we got one. And, in fact, if you go back and study the inception of the Federal Reserve System, you'll find that the bankers who created it were very specific in their secret meetings. They said, we must never refer to it as a central bank. And they didn't until after so many generations had come along that it totally lost the concept of a central bank and what it could do. 
do to them. And then just blithely, then they just began to say, yeah, well, the central bank today, <laughs> and we yeah. got it, and we didn't even know what we got. <laughs> it's amazing, Tim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now, to look at this like on a, on a geopolitical level, and then in, in comparison to the, the you know the current economic situation, you hear all the time when they were bailing out the banks and everything that the banks and the other companies and stuff were too big to fail. And then you get almost the impression that really, if you pull the camera back a little bit, it's more like it's America that's <laughs> that's teetering on failure and it's too big to fail. So we have to keep propping it up. But but based on sort of what I got from the book, it seems like really the end game plan here is is to fail. That's, that's their, their goal. We're being set up for failure, and there's a purpose in this because, you know, you always hear about the new world order, which is really actually <laughs> not new, and there's not much order to it. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, in fact, you know, you can all go all the way back to Adolf Hitler, who talked about a new world order. Um, and the biggest stumbling block to this new world order, and okay, let's stop and explain. Here's, here's what they mean by new world order. Um, I think it was actually laid out back in 1948 by a British Fabian socialist by the name of Eric Arthur Blair. And he wrote a book in that year of 1948, and he transposed the numbers, and he published this book entitled 1984, and he used the pen name George Orwell. Hmm. But now Eric Arthur Blair, being a socialist, I think he, and being well-connected to the British aristocracy and the royals, I think he had a true understanding of what the game plan was. And if you go back and reread the 1984, you find that they have the, the wealthy elite have divided the world into three predominant economic blocks. In the book, it's called Oceana, uh, Asiana, and East Asiana. Okay, today, they're working hard to actually make that real. In today's real world, we have the European Union, which is in existence and is already drawing controversy and criticism from its own members. And then the soon-to-be North American Union, where they're going to blend the economies of Canada, Mexico, and and the United States, and they're well along on this plan, although they just hadn't quite called it that yet. And then at some future date, there will be the Asian unions, and that's going to be easy enough to form because most of the Asian nations are just pyramid power. you got a, a dictator or a family or a handful of people at the top ruling everything, and everybody else is just, you know, peons. And uh, so that'll be easy enough because you just take the ruling people and you uh, buy, buy them out or you put them on your board and, and then you've got control of the Asian nations and you've got an Asian Union. So the stumbling block actually has been the United States. Why? Well, because we have a tradition of individual freedom and liberty. And two, we have the legal foundation for this individual freedom and liberty, which is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And third, we got guns. <laughs> so we're in a position to enforce our freedom and liberty. So they had to destroy us. They have to get this roadblock out of the way so they can create their their three-part world globalist socialist system. And why do they want socialism? Well, wait a minute. We're talking about these rich, wealthy Wall Street, 
bankers and, and, and city of London bankers, you know, why would they want socialism? Because communism was socialism. Communism was the exact opposite of capitalism, right? Yeah. Well, not really, okay? Because here's the thing. Under any social program, no matter how benevolent it may sound, it's going to, it always requires central administration. You've got to have a central authority to run a effective social program. And the wealthy elite, the plutocrats, know that they have the power and the wealth that they can buy up the central authority and thereby rule the world. Yeah. And, but not in the name of despotism and tyranny, but in the name of social equality. Well, we're all equal, you know. Mm-hmm. And But here's the thing. Here's what people just don't understand. Because socialism, on the one hand, and I've been criticized by some people that say, well, you talk about socialism like it's a bad thing. Well... Not really. There are obviously certain social programs that are necessary in a benevolent society. All right, you, there are always old people, infirm people uh, that need to be taken care of by society, and there are, should be, and and there are programs to do this. But they can get out of hand. But the main problem with socialism is, is that when you try to socialize everyone and make everyone equal, then you are creating a uh, ambitionless society, yeah. and I think this was Tim. This was quite uh, shown effectively by a college professor um, who uh, his class on political science. They were arguing back and forth about socialism, and he says, "Okay, I tell you what," he said, "I'm going to." Uh, we're going to practice socialism in this class. He said, the next test, he said, I'm just going to average all the grades, and everybody gets the same grade. And, uh, and everybody kind of looked at each other. So the first test came up, and everybody made a C. All right. Now, the people who had not studied for the test thought that was a really great deal. Hey, good. I didn't, I've done it. Break sweat. And I got a C. But the people who made had studied and, and had made A's and B's on their test, needless to say, they were miffed because they had studied for an A and a B, and they ended up with a C. Yeah. So the second test came along. And everybody made a D. <laughs> yeah, because the ones because, who studied yeah, because knew the better. Ones who said, "Well, why do I need to study when I'm going to end up with a C?" You know, so they didn't study, and the, the thing dropped, and everybody got a D. And on the third test, he flunked the entire class. And that, my friends, is a classic example of socialism at work. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's that's a great story. Wow. Um, well, it sounds good. It sounds good. You know, we'll just average out all the grades, and then everybody gets the same grade. You know, that way everybody can feel good about themselves, and and uh, you know, we're not going to have any winners, and we're not going to have any losers. You know, and we'll do. Uh, it sounds great, but it it just doesn't work. Never has. Now, why do you think the the New World Order is intent on sort of molding this world into you know? Uh, a few competing socialist blocks, as you say in the book. Uh, why not just one? You know, I guess I, obviously it really would be one world <laughs> under well, their control. But but with yeah. the perception of of this, would would the perception of that competition just be, you know, to to hey, sort of keep the brainwash going? It's about profit and control. If it's all just one world government, then you know, okay, well that's the government, okay. 
But if you have the three different blocks, and again, read read Orwell's 1984. Two of the blocks are always at war with each other. Yeah. And then and then they will uh, then they will finally either win or lose or or make peace, and then they'll turn and then they go to war with the other block. So they're always in conflict. So the see they've got to have the conflict. They don't want a one world government because then there's no conflict. Now, what they want is the conflict between the major blocks, at least the perceived conflict, as you say, they, they're going to control them all. And, uh, but they want the perceived conflict for maximizing profit and control. Uh, the, what is the purpose of government anyway? The only true purpose of government, the only real reason for government is for collective defense, for protection, for security. Yeah. All right, and that's uh, and that's how you know that's that's why today, no matter what it is, it might be whether it's the price of beans or the height of your corn, it doesn't matter. It's all national security, all right, because that is the the only uh, overreaching claim uh, and defense for big government. Uh, so we can defend you. Well, you know, if it's one world government, then well, wait a minute. <laughs> There's no need for that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So they got to have the conflict so that they can keep selling arms and <laughs> they can keep maximizing profits and keep people fearful. You know, and uh, by the way, in 1984, if you'll recall, the boogeyman was uh, was Goldman. Goldman was behind everything. Of course, they couldn't quite catch Goldman. Didn't quite know where he was. wasn't even sure exactly what he looked like, but he was behind everything. He was kind of like Professor Moriarty, right? He was behind everything. Uh, hmm, sounds kind of like Osama bin Laden, doesn't it? Who was that? Osama bin who? We, we've already forgotten about him, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know? In fact, you know, it's actually go all the way back to less than a year after 9-11 attack. Uh, in the spring of 2002, President George W. Bush was asked about bin Laden. He said, well, we haven't heard much from him lately, and frankly, I'm not that concerned about him. Oh, oh well, forget him, uh, except, wait a minute, here it is 10 years later, and we're still fighting in Afghanistan, where we went to get bin Laden, <laughs> and we're still fighting in Iraq because, you know, they had something to do with 9-11, or, or did they? No, wait a minute. Bush said they had nothing to do with 9-11. Uh, so I don't. Know. I'm, I miss something there. I'm not sure why we're in Iraq. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed uh, to be looking for weapons. I thought. Yeah, we're looking for. Yeah, we're looking for weapons of mass destruction. Which uh, we, I guess we're still looking. Uh, meanwhile, we're you know killing people and destroying places. I don't know. I don't. I don't quite get it. Yeah. Now, what do you make of? Uh, here we are. We're talking on November fourth, so we're about two days removed from the big election. What do you What do you make of? I guess you could say the recent flip sort of back to this uh, GOP, at least half the Congress, uh, you know, I get the impression based on looking at the at the past, and, and, and believe me, I was excited about Obama. I should have known better. I've been in this long enough. I don't know what, what I, I must be an idiot, but I, obviously now, two, two years in, I'm, I'm hip to the game again. And well, you should have called me, Tim. I could have warned you. <laughs> <laughs> because, wait, 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 wait. here, I'll just give you the, the ball face. Uh, here's the ball face facts of the situation. Uh, and this is what people just, I don't, I don't understand it. Why don't we get it? From 1989 to 1993, we had the administration, the Republican administration of George Herbert Walker Bush. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, every member of his cabinet, except for Vice President Dan Quayle, 
who couldn't spell potato, and his old buddy Jim Baker were members of that secretive globalist organization, the Council on Foreign Relations. Mm -hmm. So that's actually who was in control. But then, from 93 to 2000, we had the Democratic administration of Bill Clinton. Uh, oops. Every cabinet member except for Secretary of Defense William Perry was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Hmm. But then we shifted, of course, in the selection of 2000 to George W. Bush, and, oh, let's look at his cabinet. Dick Cheney, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, Donald Rumsfeld, Robert Gates, Elaine Chao, Christine Todd Whitman, uh, all members of the Council on Foreign Relations. Hmm. So, but in 2008, you know, we all went for change, change we could believe in. <laughs> and we got Barack Hussein Obama. All right. Whoops. Let's look at his cabinet. Robert Gates. Whoop. Rob Gates, Council on Foreign Relations. He's still there. Jan Napolitano, Bill Richardson, Susan Rice, James L. Jones, Timothy Geithner, Larry Summers, Paul Vogner. God, all Council on Foreign Relations. So what's changed? Nothing. Yep. The, the same rulers have ruled us through both the Democrat and Republican administrations. So this whole thing about let's elect Democrat, let's elect Republican, it's nonsense. They're both controlled by the same people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess I just shut my brain off there for a while. I, you, you know, it's better. I guess you can hope for good things to happen because you know chances are bad things are going to happen anyway. You know what I mean? So that, that was the attitude. <laughs> but, but when you look, you know, right away when when you know, if you think, go back to say. 2006, 2005, you'd never even heard of Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah. You'd never even heard of him. And then all of a sudden, he's just, he's a man of the hour. Well, he's the new Messiah. <laughs> he's the guy. Well, you know, when you see something like that, then you, you do what I do, which is you go and check and find out well, who's behind him. Yeah, exactly. And what I found out was is that he his key advisors was Zygmunt Brzezinski. Exactly, yep. yep. And the head of the Trial Hour Commission. And he and David Rockefeller, of course, were big Council on Foreign Relations members, and then they uh, helped branch off and form the Trilateral Commission, which was uh, to, designed to bring in the Asian economies into their world banking conglomerate. Well, once you understand that Brzezinski is behind Obama and, and that Henry Kissinger is behind Bush, you realize that the puppet masters never change, just the hand puppets, okay? Exactly. It's amazing. It's just, but everybody just keeps, you know, we just keep stampeding along. Why? Because we watch television. <laughs> well, that, that, that brings up a good point. So do you think the, this sort of like flip back was uh, sort of manufactured by the media and, and sort of spurred on by them to, to God knows what, create more chaos or, or sort of change. I feel like there's a change sort of in the style between the two parties, even though the people behind the scenes don't oh, change. Well, hey, of course there's a difference. One is represented by a donkey, and one <laughs> is represented by an elephant. Why, that's change you can believe in. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Tim. This past Tuesday, I think, is is... If it didn't prove anything else, it should have proved to anyone who is absolutely thinking on their feet that your vote doesn't count. 
these electronic voting machines have wrecked the voting process. Now, voting has always been a, a tricky deal, and there's always been problems, and there's always been corruption. You know, here in Texas, I still remember as a kid, everybody talking about mysterious Box 13, which got uh, Lyndon Johnson elected to the Senate, put him on the road to the presidency, and uh, there was a huge controversy and uh, scandal over that, and they, and then for years, and then finally a court said, we want to see the votes, and we want to count the votes, and when they all opened Box 13, there was nothing there. All the votes had disappeared, went away, even though the people who had seen them when they were there said that uh, several hundred of them were all in the same handwriting, you know, <laughs> and, and were listing uh, people who were known to be dead. So, you know, we've always had problems, but at least then there's court cases. You can eventually get to the box. You can eventually get to the votes or, or not and realize that it was a fraudulent election. But today it's all in computer. And today there's no paper trail. And today there's no way of telling whether your vote counts or not. And I'm telling you this, uh, in traveling around the country and in talking on so many radio programs and the, listening to the people calling in, there was a huge backlash in this country. And there, there was many, many people who did not want to vote for the Democrat or the Republican. They wanted something different. They wanted to show that they, uh, the public was in charge not the politicians, and yet when the voting's done, we find, oh, well, there's 51 for the Democrats and 48 for the Republicans and, well, nothing in between particularly. Wait a minute. It, it doesn't make sense. In fact, there was this uh, uh, campaign in Ohio, and uh, the uh, man running for the Constitutionalist Party uh, early on, it showed he had 14% of the vote. Uh, with 15,000 votes. And then, all of a sudden, within an hour, he dropped to 3,000 votes, and he lost. You know, he, yeah. was, he, he even trailed the Libertarian. I, what happened to those votes? Where'd they go? Well, they went off into the cyberspace, just went away. Interesting. And, and that's what happens. Uh, there's another instance. I'm still looking into this. I'm going to I'm going to put together a list of all the voting irregularities that took place. And yet we are so dumbed down. We are so pacified, so mollified that you know right now I can't think of a single race where anybody is contesting the election. Yeah. It's like, well, gee, the computer said it's this, so it must be this. Uh, that's wrong, folks. Well, you know, uh, and and if you don't have a vote, you don't have anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, I guess like kind of what I was to jump back to a little bit of what I was talking about. It seems like under the Bush era, it was a little bit, at least as far as what the people in the conspiracy movement were were looking at, uh, you know, and, and were upset about. Was seemed like a. a a push more towards the police state, and then Obama came in, and it seemed like more of a push towards the socialism end of things. Meanwhile, of course, the police state stuff just keeps going on. It's not like he stopped. The, right. It seems, so it seems like almost you know they're 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 pushing their whole agenda in you know in alternating uh, you know methodologies, if you will. Right. You get what I mean? 
Well, Tim, as you, you know, as you well know, because I was on your program during the Bush administration, and it's not like I'm pro-Bush and anti-Obama. Yeah, right? exactly. I'm anti-New World Order, mm-hmm. and, and the New World Order controls them both. And if you want any more clear example, there the... Obama campaigned on the idea of transparency in government, right? He even said that uh, the vital issues will be broadcast on C-SPAN, and everybody can see what we're doing. Well, that hasn't happened, and in fact, there's more secrecy, more denial of freedom of information request, more secretiveness than in the Bush administration. Uh, 64% more rejections of uh, Freedom of Information Act request under the Obama administration than under the Bush administration. So I'm not trying to say Bush was good and Obama's bad. I'm trying to say that as bad as Bush was, Obama has not done any better. In fact, in some instances, has done worse. So again, there's no change. Yeah, exactly. Um, to, to look at the economy a little bit, what, what do you make of this this sort of rush? Uh, I guess you could call it a gold rush uh, of the last few years. A lot of people are sort of trying to grab as much gold as they can in, in light of what's going on. Do you think the government's going to step in and, and confiscate the gold or, or start trying to, uh, you know, stop this thing from happening? Well, they're not going to be able to confiscate gold. You know, can you picture trying to bust in doors and neighborhoods <laughs> and saying, "Give me your gold"? You know, they'd tear the place apart looking for that little handful of gold coin. Nah, ain't going to happen. But what's going to happen is, it's already happened before. In the uh, back in the '30s, during the Depression, they outlawed the use of gold for trade and barter and okay. and means of exchange. So they'll outlaw it. And you're going to have to go to the Ameros or whatever the heck they're going to call the new money, which they will probably, you know, stack at about, you know, 10 cents on the dollar to what you got. So, in other words, you got $100 now. And then when they say, okay, in the current crisis, uh, you know, we've got this new money coming in. So you'll have $10 of new money oh, based, based on your $100. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be bad. Will your debt and, go down in, in, in turn? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, oh, you know, the money's worth less and less, and let, yet look at the prices. They just keep going up and up and up. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, uh, i tell you what. I think, uh, I, I mean, gold is always a good uh, standby, and gold at some point will always be valuable. But, uh, frankly, I think you'd be wiser to invest in tomato seeds. Interesting. All right. Hey, uh, you know, if you just think about it, I mean, even the mainstream media was talking about the ugly mood of the country, and they were, you know, predicting this landslide for Republicans, you know, to try to change everything up. And yet Harry Reid's back in, Pelosi's back in. What's changed? Nothing. So either we're all a bunch of idiots or the vote is fraudulent. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that seems true. And you'd think that by now the third-party candidates would have more of a showing, uh, but, you know, exactly. it never seems I, to be the case. I can't tell you. The libertarians have managed to get on the ballot, I think, in every state. And you would think that they would at least come up with 10% of the vote. You know, I'm not going to say they would have won, but, uh, you know, they would have at least had a respectable they, – they negligible. Something's wrong, folks. Beyond just the mainstream media sort of brainwashing of the two-party system? Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. 
Now, to people wanted something different, and yet we get the same thing. You, what is that? And this whole thing between uh, Democrat and Republican, the Bush administration. See, you can't. The way you can tell if a politician's lying to you is if his mouth's moving. <laughs> and I and I don't say that too facetiously because it's unfortunately it's a truism. Uh, any politician who's going to tell you the truth probably will never get elected. Uh, because, you know, if they say, yeah, I'm going to have to increase your taxes, they're not going to get elected. Exactly. So, so they got to say, no, no, no new taxes. You know, read my lips, you know. Uh, so it's, 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 so you can't trust anything they say. You have to watch what they do. And the classic examples are George W. Bush, Republican, and Barack Hussein Obama, a Democrat. All right? Now... Uh, Bush talked a good conservative game, and yet he didn't do any of that. He launched, you know, uh, wars of aggression. He set up torture chambers. My God, when did that come about in America? And uh, he uh, instituted uh, No Child Left Behind, one of the most socialist programs there's ever been. In fact, but here's what throws everybody off, Tim. Everybody thinks of socialism where you're going to take from the wealthy and give to the poor. This is corporate socialism where you take from the poor and you give to the rich. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's what throws people off because they go, wait a minute. And so Bush talks conservatism, but he wasn't a conservative. He was a national socialist is what he was. Yeah. But, of course, they couldn't use that term because anybody with a sense of history realizes that national socialism is what the in the German language, the acronym is Nazi. Okay? <laughs> so you're not going to vote for a Nazi. So they had to come up with a new term. They came up with neoconservative, a neocon. Okay, well, we got neocons, all right. And so, uh, and people, though, by 2008, were beginning to kind of catch on. Wait a minute, he says all this, but he's not doing it. We're still fighting these wars. Our economy's going to hell. They're, they've got the bankers are just taking over. Uh, you know, they're nationalizing businesses. Oh, wow, let's change. So we got Obama administration, and look what they've done. More socialism. All they've done is uh, shifted us from national socialism to Marxist socialism. And, uh, and the way they do that is the oldest maneuver in the book. It's the old used car salesman's trick. You know, you're walking along the street, and they grab you, put you in there, and say, talk to you, good old bus, slap you on the back. Pretty soon it's, hey, do you like the red one or the green one? <laughs> well, I, I kind of like the red one. Okay, well, here, come on in. Let's sign the papers. Well, wait a minute. I didn't even want to buy a car, you know? So it's like, do you want national socialism or Marxist socialism? Well, wait a minute. What if I don't want socialism at all? What if I want free market capitalism? So, you know, you cannot listen to what they say. You have to watch what they do. Now, I'm hearing some wind chimes in the background. What, are you outside or something? Yeah, I stepped out on the porch. It's really beautiful here, Indian summer in Texas. Sounds nice. It's raining like a sunbitch here, so at least one of us is enjoying the weather. <laughs> we got to spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the Internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Now, just to just to sort of wrap up a little bit of the of the sort of financial end of this whole thing, what do you, based on your research, what do you advocate? A return to a gold standard, or just folding the Fed into the U.S. government and and sort of ending that independent central bank? 
Well, you know, here's the biggest fraud. What they're talking now is, they, is the Federal Reserve is going to buy U.S. Treasury notes. So, in other words, they're going to print paper money that's not worth anything except the paper it's printed on, and they're going to buy U.S. Treasury notes, which is based on the goods and services and hard work of the American people. Well, what kind of fraud is that? Uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, we need, well, number one, at the very least, we need to audit the Federal Reserve System. Yeah. And, uh, of course, they had a great support for that in Congress, but it never happened. What does that tell you? Congress is, you know, is emasculated. They can't do anything. Uh so obviously they're not in control. Well, if Congress, our elected representatives, are not in control, then who is in control? We need to start figuring out who's truly in control and then just take whatever the appropriate steps are. Actually, corporatism, uh, which is actually what we're operating under, and by the way, uh, Benito Mussolini, the Italian dictator in World War II, is credited with uh, the word fascism because it stems from his black-shirted fascistas. And, of course, fascism is defined as the combining of state and corporate power. Well, you know, I defy anybody to argue successfully with me that that's not where we are right now. We're operating in a country that has a blend of uh, corporate power and government power. Yeah. Now, the difference between us and Nazi Germany and fascist Italy is that in those two countries back in the 30s, the state, the government, if you will, took over the corporations, gained control over them, and that combination was fascism. Uh, today in America, they just reversed it. <laughs> the corporations have taken control of the government. Yeah, exactly. And, but the end result's the same, and we need to understand that. But, you know, corporate, and, and Mussolini said fascism is probably not really the correct term. Uh, it, it more correctly should be termed corporatism. Well, now, corporatism, I don't know. Corporatism might be something we could work with because the corporations all look to the bottom line, right? They yeah. want to make sure they're making a profit for their investors, stockholders, okay? Well, then that means that we do then have some modicum of control. All we got to do is quit buying something and quit making it. Exactly. Right? Go with your dollar. Exactly. And if everybody will quit buying diet soft drinks with aspartame in it, which turns into formaldehyde in your system and starts pickling your brain and was pushed through over the objections of the federal regulators by Donald Rumsfeld when he was the CEO of uh, Searle Pharmaceuticals, uh, if everybody would just quit buying those diet soft drinks, they'd take it out or they'd change it, right? Yeah. So at least then you might could affect some change, but see, you can only do that if you have a literate and educated in the broadest sense population. And no, but well, we're just hammered 24-7 with the electronic matrix woven by television. It goes back to the zombie nation. Zombie nation. Now, uh, you, you sort of referenced here uh, the swine flu and how that was such a huge to-do uh, last year. And it seems like over the last decade there's been quite a few of those between SARS and bird flu. And uh, I guess I'm well, wondering... The purpose, the purpose of that, of course, yeah. of those of those 
false pandemics and, and is fear-mongering, and the fear-mongering is to get everybody to take their vaccinations. And when you take the vaccinations, which not only is inoculating you with whatever it is they're trying to prevent, I mean, that's what a vaccination is, uh, 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 polio. You know, they give you a little bit of polio so your body can overcome it and then uh, theoretically build up a resistance and then you won't get the real thing. But uh, see, not only are you getting the real thing, but you're getting squalene and you're getting all these other adjutants that are have been proven to be quite harmful. So in other words... Uh, they basically, and this comes back to what the elitist, the globalist, call eugenics or population control. Um, and people need to be aware of this because this isn't is not some philosophical argument over the uh, ingredients of our foods and our drugs. Uh, they want to kill us. This is a matter of self-defense. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, yeah, you, you introduced some seriously bizarre and interesting, uh, facts about food in there, too, that I'd never even heard of, like that, uh, a couple of them here I put in my notes. Typical consumer over eight years old eats four meals away from home per week, and that half of each dollar spent by an American on food is prepared outside the home. Right. It's like, that's kind of, that's, that's just stunning. But when you think about it, it, it's, you know, it's true. Makes a lot, you know, I eat a lot of meals away from home. It seems like a lot of people do. It's, it, you know, and then you put your trust into the hands of people that, you know, you shouldn't be. Well, and there's a purpose behind that. And again, it comes back to the uh, socialism uh, and control. When I was a young kid, my mother made all the food, okay? She had flour and baking soda and all these basic ingredients, and then she made the food. So we knew how to feed ourselves. Today, uh, you know, if all the fast food places shut down, half the population wouldn't know how to feed themselves. <laughs> yeah. So what would they do? They'd have to turn to the government. They'd have to go down and get the government cheese or the government peanut butter sandwiches or whatever they gave them, and uh, they would be totally dependent on the government. That is very tight control. Yeah, and to go back to the idea of the corporations taking over the government, and then you just see sort of how, you know, they're, they're sort of like yeah. doing the job so the government doesn't have to, like McDonald's, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and that is tremendous social control. Um, I noticed that San Francisco has outlawed uh, or made illegal uh, giving away free toys with the fast food, which is one small step. I don't know how effective that's going to be. But if you think about it, you know, you can hardly turn down your children's screams about, oh, I, we got to go to the fast food place so I can get the latest toy. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, I don't know. Uh, but you have to be thoughtful and you have to think about the ramifications of everything to try to work your way through that kind of system. Okay, yeah. So what, what I had been thinking about the pandemics, too, was that it seems all, almost like, based on what you said about sort of these for lack of a better term, sort of like sneaky pandemics uh, that you that you mentioned earlier, like the Gulf War thing and, and um, chronic fatigue. It's almost like people should keep an eye out maybe for these emerging diseases that are sort of just drag people down, you know, than this massive sort of plague-like pandemic that, that they keep warning us about. It's almost like there there is a sort of pandemic going on, but it's like smaller sort of isolated diseases that people, you know, 
Yeah, just sort of just hear about it. You know, they, they don't really notice it. And uh, again, in my book, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, I've got a whole section devoted to this uh, mycoplasma attack. This was actually... Uh, yeah came from the Nazis, all right? Now, we not only brought over, after the war, thousands of unreconstructed Nazis and rolled them into our military-industrial complex because we wanted their rocket science and we wanted their weaponry, uh, but uh, we also brought in their mind control experts and their scientists who had been working on population control, uh, fluoridation, uh, of course, being one of those. Uh, it was the Nazis who realized that by putting sodium fluoride in the drinking water of the concentration camps, that would keep the inmates passive and non-resistant. And so now, two-thirds of the water supply of this country are fluoridated. And yet, study after study shows that it's really not doing much to stop cavities. Yeah. Uh, it's only effective. In, for one thing, they tell you don't give fluoride toothpaste to small children. All right? It's only children between the ages of 6 and 12 that they can show that there is some slight decrease in cavities. But uh, there's other... Uh, other things that happen too, such as discoloration of the teeth and the breakdown and brittleness uh, of the teeth. This has all been shown scientifically, but of course you never hear about this because uh, the mass media doesn't want to lose one of their biggest advertisers. Yeah, yeah. And, and you make the point in the book that given all the bad stuff that's the result of fluoride, it's sort of an unfair trade-off just for, for a nice smile. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but of course, see, there's uh, never been, uh, once you have the pharmaceutical companies, all of whom can trace their lineage back to the Nazi IG Farben chemical combine, um, that's where they have uh, the huge control. Uh, for example, one of the big things today that really concerns so many people is the has been the recent increase in school shootings mm -hmm. and teen suicides. Uh, and, of course, all the mass media can talk about is guns. Ooh, got to take your guns away. Well, excuse me. Uh, when I was growing up in Texas, we, we took guns to school. And I had friends that had guns in the rack of their pickup trucks, you know, but hey, nobody shot anybody. Yeah. Uh, it's not the guns, folks. It's the drugs. Virtually every single school shooter uh, is either on or just coming off of psychotropic drugs. And uh, But, of course, they can't talk about that because then they might lose their uh, pharmaceutical advertising, which is one of, if not the largest, advertiser on television. All you got to do is just stop and look at those commercials. If they're not selling you a truck or a car, they're selling you a drug. Yeah, exactly. And I presume, obviously, I guess, uh, that, you know, this the big pharma is really just one arm of of the new world order in a way, the bank. It's not like the it's not like big pharma's competing with the banks here. There's no factional situation. It's just no, a, it's just one no, part. It's, all, it's all part of the same ball of wax. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's like you can't really escape this thing. It's <laughs> it's, it's invaded all of our all, all aspects of life. And again, uh, this is really uh, part of their attempt at population control. Uh, for example. Uh, one of the, um, Prince Philip, uh, the royal, uh, in, uh, England, uh, he, he 
verbalized their whole outlook when he said human population growth is probably the single most serious long-term threat to survival. If it isn't controlled voluntarily, it will be controlled involuntarily by an increase in disease, starvation, and war. Whoops, excuse me, isn't that what we see happening? You know, these weird diseases that are thinning the population, the starvation in some of the third world countries, and of course the ongoing regional no-win, no-end-in-sight conflicts like Afghanistan, Iraq. Now, just to show that Prince Philip's uh, was not just talking rhetorically and like maybe that will happen if we don't curb population. At another point, he was quoted as saying, in the event that I am reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus in order to contribute something to solve overpopulation. <laughs> well, he's voicing their beliefs and their philosophy. They want population reduction. They want us dead. <laughs> so we better start paying attention. And they're being quite effective with that through their vaccines, the genetically modified food, fluoridation of the water, and of course the chemtrails, which we could devote a whole uh, program just on that. Uh, but it's pretty insidious. And let me... Let me give you a good example. All through the Bush administration, the head of the uh, Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, was a Dr. Julie Gerberding. And she, of course, was leading the charge in vaccinations. You got to take your vaccination. Well, we all, we're going to have bird flu. Well, we're going to have swine flu. Uh, you know, Asian flu. You got to take your vaccinations. Well, soon as the Bush administration left office, she resigned as director of the Centers for Disease Control and became president of Merck Pharmaceuticals Vaccine Division. <laughs> now, am I the only one that sees a conflict of interest there? Clearly not. Well, maybe yeah, maybe so, since, <laughs> since it never gets mentioned anywhere. No, no, it doesn't get mentioned. And that, that, see, that's the thing that really gripes me, Tim, because coming from the background as a professional journalist, there is no journalism. There, there's no journals anymore. There's a simply corporate advertising d distribution systems. <laughs> and, oh, if you happen to pick up a little news in the process, so much the better for you. Yeah, yeah. The news today is atrocious. So it's a it's a pretty pretty sad state of affairs. Well, it's not designed to inform us. It's in it's designed to distract us. Absolutely, yeah. I thought uh, one one thing that you mentioned in the book that I thought was interesting uh, with regards to global warming actually was that uh, that it seems like the whole universe is warming, not just Earth. So maybe we're maybe the people exactly. who are you know, blaming uh, humans or all that. So maybe maybe the whole argument's skewed in a sense that, that, that we're missing something big here. It's bogus. It's not our SUVs, okay? And the reason I say that is because the ice caps on Mars are diminishing. In other words, they're melting. Uh, there's ice on the moons of Jupiter, which are diminishing. They're melting. Outer planets are becoming more luminescent, which means they're heating up a little bit. So whatever is causing this warming uh, cycle, if that's what it is, it may just be cyclic. It may have to do with sunspots or solar flares, whatever it is. But whatever it is, it's solar system wide. It is not just the Earth. So in other words, the whole idea that we have to reduce our lifestyles and quit running our, our 
cars and and da 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 da. But you know, is just a fallacious argument. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've learned I learned so much from this book that uh, I just uh, was blown away by all the interesting new sort of facts that that came along in the book. As I said, about, especially about the food stuff and this universe thing. Well, this is the this is the topics that you never hear discussed in the corporate mass media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I never heard heard this uh, universal warming. Uh, I guess you could say theory until now. So it, right. it makes a lot of sense. And of course, I'm sure, Tim, that you're aware that a, a lot of the statistics that have been presented uh, out of England, out of that center, uh, which they were basing all their global warming stuff, has now shown to have lots of deficiencies. They were skipping certain periods. They were fudging the facts. Uh, so again, it's. Just, Reminiscent of uh, of the run up to the invasion of Iraq, uh, you know, where we were uh, told all of this stuff and oh, he was going to have a nuclear weapon in six weeks, and oh, they had weapons of mass destruction, oh, they had all this stuff, you know, and uh, w- what we now learn is uh, exactly what the British. Uh, we're told back even uh, in 2002 before we invaded Iraq, which is we were fixing uh, the facts around the policy. In other words, they wanted to invade Iraq, so let's figure out what we can argue as uh, reasons for doing so. And, of course, those reasons turned out to be uh, inadequate at best. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and as you pointed out uh, here in the beginning of the conversation, you know, uh, the book does lay out a lot of suggestions for how to fix things, which I really appreciate because so many people in, you know, I know you're an investigative journalist and uh, you don't like to be tagged with the conspiracy theorist uh, uh, label, but I know a lot of people sort of in the parapolitical field often sort of say, you know, the sky is falling, we never offer any alternatives <laughs> to how to right. prop it up. Uh, you know, you do a great job here in the book of, of really sort of laying out, I believe there's 36 suggestions on how to, how to fix this mess that we're in. Um, I guess talk a little bit about that. Obviously, don't tell us all 36, but <laughs> give, right. us, give us your thoughts on sort of how that all came together and, and where you think we need to get. Well, there are so many things we could be doing. Uh, term limits, I think, is is just that's unnecessary. You just get, we've got to have term limits, not only in Congress but on the Supreme Court. We can't have people who have been on their their entire lives and are wedded to certain philosophies and and uh, to certain political agendas. Um, and uh, so we need to have term limits. We need to audit the Fed. Uh, one suggestion I particularly like is that every time uh, there should a lobbyist should be limited to one lobbyist per congressman. Okay, and then when that lobbyist goes to lobby the congressman for whatever issue it may be, uh, and undoubtedly representing his paymasters, then a public advocate should go along. And when they argue, well, we've got to have this for this, then the public advocate can go, yeah, but wait a minute, for the good of the people, we need to have this. But see, there's none of that. Today, there are, I, I can't even, 20,000 lobbyists or so many, and they gang tackle these uh, congresspersons, yeah. and uh, that's all they hear. And, of course, it's also these corporate lobbyists are coming from the very companies who are funding the pop- the politicians. So if your uh, whole uh, uh, goal is to get reelected, then you know you got to have campaign money. So that means who are you going to listen to? You know, just the poor old long-suffering taxpaying public or the corporate lobbyists who have uh, deep pockets. 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. And we need to do that. But see, any of that is probably going to require votes of Congress. And as we've just seen, we can't seem to get a handle on Congress. We can't even get rid of some of the people like Harry Reid, who was quoted as saying that the Constitution is irrelevant. What? And you're going to keep voting for this guy? (laughs) I I don't get it. I just don't get it. And again, I don't think, I I really sincerely doubt that this is a case of just public stupidity and ignorance. I think this is more a case of uh, voter fraud thanks to the no paper trail uh, computer voting. And that's another one of the points I said. We need to return to paper ballots and poll watchers. And you go ask anybody under the age of 40, they probably don't even know what a poll watcher is. Yeah. A poll watcher is a person who is uh, assigned by a political candidate or a party or even a advocacy group to go and stand at the polling places and monitor it all day to make sure that the votes are fair. But see, that's questionable now because, I don't know, I'm not that... I'm not that great a computer expert, so if I go and stand at a polling place and everybody comes in and they've got their little voter cards and they go in the booth and they pull the lever and punch the punch the machine, touch type the computer, and they come out with a smile on their face, then, you know, how do you know that their vote was accurately tabulated? Yeah. And even if it was accurately tabulated at the precinct level, since it's all sent in via by computer, how do you know it was hadn't been hacked between the time it leaves the polling place and the, and arrives at the tabulation center? You know, you don't. And there's no way of knowing this. And, uh, of course, you know, we could spend the rest of the program talking about the numerous documented instances of these computer machines being hackable and making uh, errors. And uh, I don't know. There's just too many problems there. We need to do away with them. As we've established here, this is the sixth time we've had you on the show, sixth year uh, for the program. I remember looking back on one of our earlier interviews, and I think I asked you the simple question of, are we screwed here? And and nothing seems to have gotten any better in the last uh, few years since I first asked you that question. So, I mean, mm-hmm. are we screwed here, or, or is there any chance that we're going to be able to turn this thing around? Well, that's a tough question because if we keep floating along like we are and still buying into the conservative, liberal, Democrat versus Republican paradigm, I don't think it's going to get any better. But if people as individuals would start opening their eyes and their ears and their minds and start thinking for themselves, turn turn off that TV, uh, don't be guided by the mass media, look for alternative sources of information. Uh, if enough people, and I say enough people, doesn't, it doesn't have to be everybody, might not even have to be 50% or more. Uh, I think if even 20% of the population would wake up, realize what's going going on and decide that uh, they're going to become thoughtful Americans, okay? I don't care what your religion, I don't care what your skin color, I don't care what your educational background, but just let's just all agree to, to disagree uh, in a agreeable manner and be uh, Americans who are concerned about the nation of the United States and what's best for it. Uh, I guess the classic example is 
I mean, you know, we're still in the middle of this war on terrorism, okay? We're supposed to be so afraid, and we're supposed to be giving up our liberties, and you're supposed to go and let them look at your naked body at an airport <laughs> and bombard you with terahertz rays, which uh, scientific papers have shown to damage your DNA. But we'll put up with that because, uh, after all, we had, they got to protect us from the terrorists. Well, okay, well, wait a minute. If there truly was an international terrorist organization intent on destroying America, intent on smuggling weapons of mass destruction into our country, uh, wouldn't it seem to be a prudent step to secure the borders? But it hadn't been done, has it? No. So the war on terrorism is a fraud. Just like the war on drugs and the war on poverty. Exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's you know... It's a big old mess. Now, when we set up the interview originally, you, you, you told me, you reminded me or suggested that I ask you uh, about stuff that was censored from the book or not allowed to be published. So what, what, what's the hot material here that, that you couldn't put in there? All right. Well, for the first time in my experience, I've had four, maybe four books canceled on me, even with a signed contract and with no real excuse. And, and most of them, even after a, a, a passing the legal uh, review, uh, which showed me that it was basically censorship. But if you're a publisher and you just, for whatever reason, decide, I'm not going to publish this book. Well, okay. You know, I, I don't agree with that, but I, I guess that's the way business operates. But for the first time in my experience on this one, I was overtly censored. I was told by an editor, uh, well, you know, I think you ought to take these sections out. And I argued back saying, no, I think these are important. They're well sourced. It's already passed the legal vetting. And I think people need to know this information. And the comeback was, well, let me put it this way. If you don't take these sections out, I will not publish the book. And uh, the irony of this is the biggest section that they forced me to remove from the book uh, was the section on how the corporate media controls the news. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I told this editor, I said, well, you kind of proved my point, didn't you? Uh, it, it's amazing. And, of course, the, uh, that was the biggest section about how that the the board, the directors of all the, these five major media corporations which decide everything we see in here. And I'm not just talking about news. I'm talking about movies, uh, DVDs, uh, computer, uh, you know, satellite, cable, broadcast, magazines, billboards, everything we see in here, five corporations control. And no wonder we're all askewed and don't know what to think and befuddled. Uh, so that was the biggest thing that came out, uh, along with the top censored stories of 2009, uh, which most of which concerned corporate malfeasance. Uh, so all that came out. Uh, the other thing that kind of surprised me because I actually wasn't even writing about it uh, per se, it was in the se also in the section about the control over the media, was the uh, total uh, disconnect between truthful, factual information about 9-11 and uh, and the official conspiracy theory that we've been saddled with. And now before anybody starts going, oh, no, no, more conspiracy theory, oh, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Let me just point out that John Farmer, mm -hmm. uh, a former uh, uh, attorney general of New Jersey, was the senior counsel of the 9-11 commission. Uh, 
In other words, their their top lawyer. And uh, in 2009, he published a book called The Ground Truth. And on page two, he writes, uh, in the course of our investigation into the national response to the attacks, the 9-11 Commission staff discovered that the official version of what had occurred that morning, that is, what the government and military officials had told Congress, the Commission, the media, and the public about who knew what and when, was almost entirely and inexplicably untrue. Yep, I had that in my notes. Wanted to mention that. I'm glad you did bring that up. Stunning. That should be front page news. Should be front page news, and yet there's not a word. And of course, when you start debating the collapse of the World Trade Center buildings and how that, by all accounts, that they appear to be uh, uh, the result of uh, controlled demolition, uh, the the question that I've always got is, well, where's the proof? Well, the proof came out uh, again in 2009 in a scientific paper published in uh, Europe, the Open Chemicals Journal, uh, in, in a peer-reviewed article by, uh, written by like about eight scientists, and they said that uh, in every sample of debris from the World Trade Center that they studied, they found traces of the military-controlled demolition thermite or more specifically a nanotechnology uh, version of that called thermate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so in other words, explosive residue found in the uh, debris of the World Trade Center. Uh, now, it just thinking as it as a journalist, as I was trained and educated to be, if I'm sitting on the news desk and I get a story that there is a peer-reviewed scientific paper that says they found controlled demolition explosive residue in every sample of from the World Trade Center, I would think that would be news. <laughs> but you hadn't heard a word, have you? Absolutely not. Well, nope. I got censored out. <laughs> okay. So, it, yeah, it, so it's absolutely amazing. And then uh, the other one that got me was that on September the 12th, 2009, an estimated 2 million Americans marched on Washington uh, to demonstrate against the then-proposed Obama health care plan, as well as the bailouts and the stimulus giveaways, uh, two million people. And uh, I've seen the photographs. I, I don't think that's a, a gross exaggeration of the number uh, because the crowds filled the, uh, the National Mall, stretched all the way down uh, uh, the uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. I mean, they, they just fill up the whole place, and yet it got virtually no coverage. The Washington Post, New York Times carried a few little stories, and they said, well, you know, there was several hundred thousand people there. You know, and they downplayed the number. Uh, the, the little small story for a day or so went away, and the rest of the country probably never even heard about it. You probably don't even know about the the huge two million person march on Washington on September the 12th, 2009. That is control of the media. And, and just juxtaposition the the lack of reporting on two million people marching on Washington um, for freedom and democracy, as opposed to all the coverage that Louis Farrakhan got when he had his one million man march on Washington. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, that went on for weeks. Yeah, I didn't mean to think about it that way, but yeah, when you raise that, it does. And and and. Regarding what you just said here about them asking you to or telling you to take out the the part about the media control uh, 
you know, the media control. It's ironic, too, because you hear so many critics of, of this sort of uh, research saying, you know, well, how is he allowed to write that if there's if there's this, you know, vast conspiracy? But then, then it's sort of like, as you said, that proves your point because then they tell you there to take it, it out of the book. There it is. And the thing is, I'm just fortunate enough to, that I was able to get something published. I, I, I can't begin to tell you how many people I run across who try to get uh, books published articles published, and they're just simply turned down. They're not published, you know. Well, you know, if you don't publish it, then you can uh, weakly, I think, argue that that's not censorship. In fact, that's what I was told. While, while, you know, preventing you from publishing something, that's not censorship. Censorship is after something's been published, and uh, you don't allow it to be distributed to anybody. Well, that's just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, semantics. Look, look, look at the dictionary under the definition of censorship. If you prevent something from being published, it's the same as preventing the information from being distributed. It is censorship. Yeah, scary but, times. Hey, I, you, know, you know, you've got to understand that the freedom of the press belongs to the guy that owns the press. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, that's why we got programs like this to uh, get the word out when, when the mainstream won't. That's right. Thank goodness. And you just keep doing your good job, Tim. I'm I'm behind you 100%. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Um, now, since we only talk to you really on an annual basis here, I feel remiss if I didn't at least ask you about the uh, the dreaded three-letter word UFO. I know, obviously, you've researched that extensively. What's your take on, on you know, the field of ufology in the last year? It seems like there's been, you know, some interesting developments, the press yeah. conference there with the, yeah. the UFOs and nukes, and it feels like maybe we're in Leslie Keene's book, which seemed to get a lot of mainstream traction, so right. maybe we're turning a corner here, but what's your take on, on the developments of the last year? Well, there's good news and bad news. Uh, first off, I'm sure you're aware of some of the more recent UFO uh, events, like the sightings in broad daylight over New York City. Uh, there was a similar thing over El Paso, Texas. Uh, everybody uh, a couple of years ago heard about the, the uh, sightings over Stephenville, Texas, but mm -hmm. what they haven't heard is that that's continuing. They're still there. They're still being seen. And I think we're seeing kind of a turnaround here. The question becomes, uh, there's something up there. Yeah. So the question is, is it them or is it us? Uh, if it's them, if it's ETs or visitors, non-human intelligences, wherever they come from, another time, another dimension, another star system, who knows, then this may be good because uh, I think that we're seeing an upsurge in uh, – in these sightings and a a concurrent uh, unrestrained reporting, you know, you you're getting these reports and they're not laughing and snickering like they used to. Yeah. Uh, but so, but then again, it could be us. It could be secret test craft, you know, and secret technology that the public is not being made aware of. In which, in which case, that could be bad because I know for a fact that the plans are in government files and that, you know, it used to be the common enemy was communism, the worldwide communism. And, uh, but when then, when then the old Soviet Union collapsed and, uh, we didn't have the communist boogaboo to, to uh, beat people over the head with, uh, then it became international terrorism. But now when that wanes and gets a little uh, thin, uh, apparently it's going to be what Ronald Reagan said, 
a threat from space. And uh, as Werner von Braun said, uh, it's all a lie. So I think we have to be very careful in, in, in on either side. We don't want to say, oh, our space brothers are here to save us. I don't think that's true. And by the same token, we don't want to go, oh, my God, aliens are here and they're going to eat us because that's not true either. Yeah, we got to keep an open eye on that because who knows what – what, what that could be and what it might turn out to be. But it does feel like something's in the air, no pun intended. I think so. Well, here's the whole thing. Uh, we're in a uh, reverse conditioning process. You see, for about the past 60 years, uh, the conditioning was there's nothing there, folks. Uh, and it would, this was a program consciously laid down by the U.S. government. Uh, it was a program of denial and ridicule. Uh, there's nothing there, and if you keep saying there is something there, then you probably need, you know, mental help. Yeah. But now we're being conditioned the other way. Now they're reporting more seriously on sightings. We've got all these movies coming out, this that, and the other thing. So now that we're being conditioned to the idea that hey, there is something there, and again, this could be dangerous because this could then be setting us up for another false flag operation. And they're saying, oh my God, there really are aliens, and they're here, and they probably want to eat you. So give us the last of your liberties, and we'll protect you. And the poor old dumbed-down, long-suffering, tax-paying public will probably go for it. Oh, please, save me, save me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty scary, but I guess we'll see what happens. We'll um, see where it goes, but all I can say is just, hey, keep your wits about you, keep your eyes and ears open, and don't believe everything you read in the papers. Absolutely, yeah. All right, so, so we've talked here in depth. We really barely scratched the surface here of uh, the trillion-dollar conspiracy. There's so much information in there. Folks should definitely check it out. And I'm sure you're already hard at work on, on something new and, and something upcoming. So what do you have coming up in the future? Well, uh, several things. Uh, number one, next year will be the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And my book on 9-11, The Terror Conspiracy, uh, is uh, is coming out in a new, expanded, uh, and updated version. And you want to be sure and catch that because I, I'm, I'm calling it the uh, uh, the uh, most definitive account of 9-11 until there's a truthful investigation. <laughs> That's coming up. And then uh, I, in uh, uh, another couple of years, uh, you might even see a new edition of Crossfire coming out. Oh, wow. Go back and revisit the Kennedy assassination, bring it up to date. And that that's going to be real interesting because, uh, you know, for so many years. By the way, just to just to show you, since I lived through all this for about 15 years, Tim, after the Kennedy assassination, it was just considered impolite to even bring up the subject in polite company. Okay? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like that with 9/11 too. Uh, afterwards, and that's it. That's my point. We're going through that same period with 9-11. But uh, hopefully the time frame will be a little bit shortened, and I think in a few more years you're going to see more and more uh, information coming about 9-11 that will show you that it was definitely an inside job, okay? Because, number one, what can absolutely be proven is that there were numerous nations and organizations and intelligence operatives trying to warn us what was going to happen, and yet nothing was done. Uh, and uh, so at the very best light you can put on it is they knew it was going to happen. They allowed it to happen to further their agenda. 
but then when you start looking even deeper and find the uh, close connection between the Saudis and the uh, hijackers and Osama bin Laden, most of whom were Saudis, uh, the fact that even the 9-11 Commission said that it was Saudi charity money that was going to fund al-Qaeda, when you look into the background of al-Qaeda and found out that it was actually created by the CIA, and of course, if you've ever seen the spy movies, no one ever quits the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> You're always there. So, you know, it, it, so it, it even gets darker and it begins to look like that they, they could have even, uh, actually, uh, uh, caused the, the whole thing. So, uh, but that, I don't know, people don't want to hear that and, uh, they're, they're in denial right now, just like they were for 15 years after the Kennedy assassination. So it may be a few more years before, uh, all that starts breaking out and people start accepting the fact that, uh, they were snookered once again. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's because people just, not not people like you and I who are hip to the to the to the score of what's going on, but the average person, I think, it, it terrifies them more than yeah. the actual idea of terrorists. It terrifies them to think that that's that's what the world really is. That's true, and that's why they just place themselves in a situation of denial. It's just I don't hear that. I don't mm-hmm. hear about that. I, I don't know about that. And oh, I believe the government. Although I can't quite understand why anybody would say that, because <laughs> you know, if the federal government of the United States was an individual, neither you nor I or anybody I know would have anything to do with them, because they have been proven to be a liar, absolutely, time after time after time. And you know, fool me once, <laughs> you know that line. Uh, if you lie to me once, I can be pretty forgiving, and I can write that off as a mistake or maybe a misunderstanding. You lie to me twice, I start really raising my eyebrows. You lie to me three times, that's it. I don't want anything to do with you. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. So, so a reissue of the terror conspiracy uh, next year with new information, and then a little bit further down the line, a reissue of Crossfire with some new information in it, I'm sure, as well, right? Right. Plus, all kinds of goodies in between, probably. Sounds good. Well, keep an eye out for that, folks, at jimmars.com, J-I-M-M-A-R-R-S.com. Well, Jim, it's been, once again, an awesome conversation with you here to kick off another season of BOA Audio. I loved the trillion-dollar conspiracy. Even though it's terrified me in a lot of ways, it also gave me hope that maybe we can find some ways to change things as well and certainly educated me as to what's been really going on over the last couple of years. A lot of stories that I hadn't heard of or developments that I did not know about are in the book. So folks should definitely go out and check that out. As I said, you know, if not for you, there would be no BOA audio. There would be no Been All of America. You lit the fuse that started this whole franchise. So that's why we always pay homage to you and have you on here to kick off each season of the show. It's been a pleasure once again, Jim. Well, thank you so much, Tim. Again, good luck to you. And and remember my motto, none of us are as smart as all of us. There you go. That does it for the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 6. want to give huge thanks to the venerable Jim Mars for joining us once again to kick off yet another year of BOA Audio. He is truly a legend and someone that I am proud to call a friend. You can find out more from Jim, of course, at his website, www.jimmars.com, J-I-M-M-A-R-R-S.com. And the new book that we just spent the last hour plus talking about is The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, How the New World Order, Man-Made Diseases, and Zombie Banks Are Destroying America. Check it out.
moving right along now, since it is the first episode of the new season, we're going to skew the normal BOA Audio listener feedback. Let me give a little feedback to all you guys. I tried to avoid the histrionics at the beginning of the episode. I am prone to hyperbole, so I didn't want to overdo it as we were kicking off another year of BOA Audio, but I am quite simply thrilled to be back and bringing you a whole bunch of new BOA Audio episodes over the next few weeks and months. It is going to be an awesome ride, folks. I have already taped a whole bunch of really thought-provoking interviews and fun interviews that I think you are going to really dig, and I hope all the great folks out there, of course, the hardcore listeners have already found us, I'm sure. I hope the casual listeners have realized that we're back as well, but they'll come along as we keep going. This ain't a one-and-done deal, friends. We've got a ton of good stuff lined up for you, believe me. Thank you for coming back, and thanks for coming back for another year of shows and for another wild ride. You guys are the best. If you want to reach me to be featured in a future edition of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, let me give you the methods. Of course, you can simply go to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. Click the contact button. That'll show you how to reach me. Or just write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. And the final main method is to join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E, usofe.com. We like to call it BOA's Paranormal Playground. A little bit more interactive, of course. It is the forum for Banal of America. Check it out and join in on the fun. And we're also on Twitter, Facebook, and MySpace. So befriend me, follow me, and poke me, folks. I'd love to hear from you on one of those sites as well. Those are the methods. Send me your correspondence. Let me know what you think of the season premiere. Let me know what you think of the new episodes as they come at you over the next few weeks. Let me know who you want to see on BOA Audio Season 6. There's still a wealth of spots left. This is only Episode 1 out of about 33 or 34 shows. So we've got a whole lot of ground left to cover and a whole lot of openings for potential guests to be on the program. I've been looking at your guest suggestions from the end of last season. Don't worry, folks. The wheels are in motion on some of those names that you floated my way. And thank you for your contributions to the zeitgeist that is BOA Audio. Up next, let's do the thanks segment. Allow me to tip my cap and thank the outstanding BOA staff. Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, our contributing cartoonist, Andy Carolin, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. Check out all the great columns from the BOA staff at Banal of America. Lots of fascinating reading material for you to sink your teeth into as you wait for the next edition of BOA Audio. We say it week in and week out here at the end of the program, but it is true. The BOA staff is doing some amazing work, and if you're not reading the columns at Banal of America, then you're only getting half of the story BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Normally, the next segment here at the end of the show is me essentially begging you all for donations, but it's the first episode back. How could I possibly ask you to donate to Banal of America when we just provide you just one episode so far this season? That would be kind of ridiculous on my part. So hold on to your money. Spend it on your friends and family here for the holidays. Make a donation after episode two or three or four. I totally understand, folks. 
it is the holiday season and we've just come back. That said, of course, I've already thanked the folks who donated to BOA over the course of Season 5 and specifically when we made the big push for donations at the close of Season 5. Those folks have already listened to the season premiere because they were afforded an early premiere via our early release program. That sounds kind of <laughs> illicit, but our early premiere was sent out to all the folks who made donations. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you make a donation, chances are we're going to try and hook you up with some kind of goodies from BOA in the future. We don't want to just take your money for a job well done. We also want to give you a little thanks back. And that's what the early premiere was for all the folks who made BOA donations. For the folks who made donations and did not receive the email with the early premiere, get in touch with me because some emails bounced back. And I have a feeling that some of these emails may have slipped into the spam filter of some people's email account. Because I got an email from somebody that said I didn't email them. And I looked and there it was in my sent folder. So I don't know what's going on with that. So hopefully the vast majority of people who made donations got their ears fed with the early premiere, and thanks once again to them for making donations. Finally, let's preview next week's edition of the program. I already gave just a blistering preview of this one on the donors edition of the program, so I think I may just cut that and paste it in here, because I don't know if I could do the preview justice here a second time around. Our guest is going to be previous BOA Audio guest, Gian Kassar. But unlike his previous appearance when he talked about the Bermuda Triangle, this time around he's going to be talking about the Sasquatch phenomena. And Gian Kassar has just released a new book. It's actually not even out yet, but I got myself a review copy and read it. And let me just say this right now, folks. This book is going to cause a massive firestorm in the world of cryptozoology. It's called Recasting Bigfoot, Uncovering the Truth About Sasquatch Amidst the Hype of Bigfoot, and it is, my friends, one of the most mind-blowing Bigfoot books I have ever read. It essentially rips to shreds the very fabric of what I thought I knew about Bigfoot. Gian kind of teased this at the end of of our previous interview, also I think way back in Season 4, at the time I thought really, you know, it's going to be maybe a little controversial, maybe a little off the beaten path, but it can't be that radical. Trust me, folks, it is that radical. It is amazing, and it really made me take a whole new look at the Bigfoot phenomena, which is something that I don't think I ever would have been able to have predicted even a few short weeks ago. So, the book is Recasting Bigfoot. The author is Gian Kassar. You're going to be hearing me, essentially, agog for about two hours in just stunned disbelief at the information he's putting out there, the theories that he's advancing, and how radically different it is from everything I'd ever thought about with regards to Sasquatch. So, this is definitely going to be a must-hear edition of BOA Audio. It's going to be one, I think, that will not only be talked about in the immediate aftermath, but will be discussed for weeks and months and probably years to come. It's that seismic of a book. Recasting Bigfoot, Chiang Kassar, next week on BOA Audio Season 6. On that note, we close the book on the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 6. Once again, big, big thanks to Jim Mars for coming on the show and helping us to kick off another year of BOA Audio. And... 
I would be remiss if I did not repeat it. Thank you to all you great folks out there. Thank you for picking us up again. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for waiting so long for the return of BOA Audio. Whether you donate or not, I don't want to ever create this distinction between the audiences. You're all important to me. You are all awesome. You are all the fuel that drives the BOA machine. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. This program is as much mine as it is yours, and it's great that we're all getting back together again for another year of Esoteric Audio. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for making BOA Audio a part of your Esoteric Audio playlist. Until next week, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.